0: what's up you guys for this episode we're going to discuss the work of dr jason fung we've been covering the obesity code the 2016 book that dr fung wrote that completely changed my life as i've indicated in previous episodes we've covered several aspects of his book one is just dr fung as a source why he's so freaking awesome two why calorie counting sucks as a way to lose weight, and for this episode, we're going to discuss the insulin theory of obesity. That is his key takeaway. That is his key point. And he and a lot of other um, fat theorists and dieting theorists, like you know Gary Cobbs, a really famous journalist, um, are out there arguing that the insulin theory of obesity is the correct view. So for this episode, we're going to do sort of a deep dive into why. I Totally agree with Dr. Fung, and yes, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but I'm drinking it in a learned way in which I think he's right, and we'll dive deep into why I think he's right on the question of the insulin theory of obesity. So first off, if you're if you're listening, you're probably like, why the hell should I care? Who the hell cares if you know Betty the nutritionist is you know Betty. Betty's the one that's like, measure your food and then exercise more and eat less. Betty's a nutritionist, right? She's horned room classes. She's like, Betty walks around and you can like hear her girdle move while, while she's walking. And she like squeaks when she walks and she measures and she's probably pretty slim, but she probably has a little bit of a pooch still, nevertheless, because she's not fit. And Betty's like, exercise more can eat less and you're going to lose weight and people in the keto space and the fasting space you know these people that are kind of ripped and really you know muscle bound and looking good they're like no way man it's the hormonal theory of obesity that's right Betty you're wrong and this argument is still raging right now go on to the twitter universe and there are doctors trumpeting people like dr fung and there are md's that are saying no 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 yeah there's all these studies that say the insulin theory is total bullshit sorry Susie for swearing and it we're still the debate is still raging right now so why the hell should you care well i think here's why you should care let's say you're like yeah man i'm I, i'm fat but I, I don't care. Like, I don't care if I got a big bulge. I, 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 that's just cosmetic. Well, here's the thing that I did not realize um, when I was obese. I did not realize that by being obese, and obese is defined as having a body mass index greater than 30. I was in extreme risk factors, and what even got me thinking about that is that this sort of hits you, especially in your 40s, because when you're younger, yeah, we don't like obesity, we don't like being fat because we don't look as good, right? And let's just face it, you look better if you're lean. I mean, you you just do, you know, you, you you do, right? And you know, if you're offended by that, you know what? Tough, tough. But setting aside the aesthetic of being fat. What I didn't realize is that there are significant risks associated with being obese in terms of heart, blood pressure, cholesterol levels, sleep disorders, your knees, cancer, and most importantly, what's the biggest risk of all? Yeah, dying. You know, We've learned over the last 50 years that, yeah, smoking is really dangerous. And if you're going to smoke, you're going to be like Marge Simpson's sister. (laughs) And you're going to sound like this. And and your skin's going to look all crappy. And you're going to die at 58 of a heart attack. And, you know, even though this is the way you sound when you're like 32 and you're a chronic smoker. Or you're like that cheerleader. You know that cheerleader raspy sorority girl? When she starts smoking and she becomes a social worker at 45, that raspy smoking voice, right? And we all know that smoking is dangerous, but I don't think really the wider public really truly gets how dangerous being fat is. So you should care about this. If you're fat or if you have a loved one who's overweight, you should care and you should read the obesity code to really decide and put your thumb on the scale because. Your recommendation to get started on certain types of diets could be life-saving for someone. And so why should you care? Well, I'm going to cite a 2016 uh, study done that was a wide-ranging study, and it was um, presented by that little institution called Harvard you know that that place where a lot of smart people go. I've known people from Harvard, but I'm not nearly as smart as the, Har- the Harvard people. Aren't smart? About- oh, they're smart, but they can be dumb about some things. But that will be another episode. But these particular Harvard people were really smart, right? And in 2016, they published a, a wide-ranging study relating to the um, risks associated with having a uh, an elevated body mass index. So they looked at you know, essentially, people that had a normal body weight, which is basically 22 to 25 of a body mass index, and then they looked at the increasing levels of mortality. That is the risk of dying associated the higher and higher that you get up on the uh, body mass index. What was my peak? 300 pounds. That was my peak. Six five, 300 pounds. I was kind of, I was kind of fat. I was kind of chubby. I was really chubby. As my doctor said, rock me. What was my body mass index at that? 36. Holy shit. It was like I was a chain smoker. That's how bad it was. She told me, rock me. You were four points away from being morbidly obese. I didn't realize how risky I was being. So what are the actual risks of being fat and being obese? If if I'm offending you by saying fat, pleasantly plump, Ridiculously rotund, I don't care what the hell word you use. Let's just say it's fat being fat or obese or is obese even offensive to you well if 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 so, tough so this study looked at the risks associated with obesity as it relates to mortality that's risk of dying, and this should absolutely blow your mind, okay so here's the actual language from the press release of the Harvard um, study. It said the risk of mortality, that is the risk of dying, increased significantly through the overweight range. Okay. So if an overweight being 25 to 27 was associated with a 7% risk of mortality, by the way, that's where I am right now. I'm still overweight. Um, To get down to like Regular range, I have to lose like 50 and more pounds. But in any event, I'm at an elevated risk of 7%. A body mass index of 27 to 30, which is you're approaching, you're getting close to obesity, was associated with a 20% higher risk of dying. A BMI of 30 to 35 was associated with a 45% higher risk of dying. A BMI between 35 and 40 was associated with a 94% higher risk of dying. I was at 36. Holy shit. I, 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 mean, I had no idea. And so one of the things with really smart people, you know, we all have different skills, but they're just publishing this stuff and they're not shouting from the highest mountaintops. Hey, if you're fat, the alarm bell should be just exploding. This is a big deal. So when I was at 36, I was at a 94% higher risk of dying, and had I reached that 40 level, and I could have, I could have been like fat blasted, you know, I would have been like super fat. I, I almost got there. I probably, I, I'd probably be there right now. I'd be waddling around like fat best bastard, saying, "Get into my belly." That's not that good a fat bastard impersonation, but who the hell cares? So. For people that have a uh, body mass index of between 40 and 60, drum roll here, boop, 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 huge. You are looking at a increased risk of mortality of nearly threefold, which I think that means a 300% higher risk of dying. So this is a big deal. And they controlled for some of these other factors. Um, And so different types of mortalities, what, you know, in terms of how you die, um, above 25, 49% higher risk of cardiovascular mortality, dying of a heart attack, 38% risk of respiratory disease, 19% increase for cancer mortality. So folks, this is a big, this is why you should care. One of the reasons why, you know, am, am I like am I like a Dr. Fung? Like, no, Dr. Fung has been, I think, one of the most. and This is what I have talked about. Am I, am I like relying too much? I'm, no, I'm not. I, I'm I'm reading all the stuff too. I mean, I'm reading Gary Tubbs. I'm reading the. I'm even reading the Calorie Counting people. You know, the, those people. I don't really these people. Are, Betty's nice, but I, I don't really follow her her school of thought. But I'm definitely an insulin theory of obesity guy. Dr. Fung is really great, but so this is why I. I basically think that it's so important, and why I think he's so right, that because if he's right, this provides the framework or the theory to help you make decisions about managing your weight. It's much easier to manage your weight if you know why you're getting fat in the first place. And the problem with the calories in, calories out, again, as with so many of these, and why why is everyone why are they all so confused? Well, in part, they're confused because both schools obviously have uh, some legitimacy to their argument. So calories in, calories out, obviously on the outer margins is right, right? I mean, if you don't eat any food, you're going to lose weight. If you se- severely restrict your, your the amount of food that you eat, you're going to lose weight. If you're exercising, you know, 10 hours a day, you're going to expend a lot of calories and you're likely to lose weight too. So of course they're right to some degree. And of course there are multiple factors. You know, there are probably some doctors out there saying, oh my God, this guy's saying there's only two things. This is where we get the liberal arts major that's like 26 that starts learning a lot. And like, everything's so complicated. Everything is just, it's all nuanced. So Sometimes I listen to people in the health space and they get almost too nuanced where you lose the essential truth. So I'm not against nuance, I'm just against sometimes when there's so much nuance, the core truth is left out, right? And so if you understand it, if Dr. Fung is right on the insulin theory of obesity, if he's right, and I think he is, this is part of the long 50-year debate that's been happening between basically the Atkins crowd and the um, high-carb, low-fat crowd calories in calories out model. Whoever's right is going to dictate how we can most effectively advise people to lose weight. Now I'll just tell you anecdotally, anecdote is the worst level of science, right? But as to you, it's the most important, right? N of one, you the person listening. You are the most important person in terms of whether something is right or wrong. And N of one, which again, is the worst form of scientific evidence, you smarty pants PhDs. I get it. But it's the most important piece is you, N of one. After I read Dr. Fung and also got on the Fastic app with my favorite German fasting app, he's got Fastic, buy Fastic, tell Fastic to sponsor me. Um, After I got onto that and I understood clearly, theoretically, I had a framework for understanding why I was fat and how I needed to reverse those things that I was doing before to not be fat, I lost 70 pounds and literally none of my clothes fit now. I have like one suit that kind of fits, but kind of looks baggy. It kind of looks like a zoot suit now. And it was not hard because it's like all of a sudden... Dr. Fung and these other people in the health space, it's not only Dr. Fung, people like Paul Saladino, people like Ben Greenfield, they all understand this too. And it's once you learn how you get fat and what causes you to accumulate fat, you um, it's very easy to lose weight, it's not hard. But if you're in this traditional, if you're listening to Betty and you're like, have a whole bunch of whole grains, in the occasional treat, you're not, you're not going to lose weight. I don't, I don't think you're going to, because you're going to be hungry all the time. You're going to be stuffing your pie hole, and your willpower isn't going to be there. I think he's clearly right. So let's talk a little bit into why I think Dr. Fung is right. And so before we get into why, what the hell is insulin in the first place? We really haven't talked a lot about this. And if you're like me, you probably don't really have. I mean, I'm just a layperson. And so I, I, it was kind of mysterious. What the hell is insulin? Because if we understand what theory is right, we have to understand what it is, what it does, how to keep it in check, and um, that will help us understand who to believe. Betty was trained at like Waukesha State in dietetics and nutrition, or these, you know, these studs and awesome people in the keto fasting space. Should we believe them or should we believe Betty? Well, we should believe these these hammers in the keto intermittent fasting space. But what is insulin? Insulin is a fat storage hormone. And what's its key function? Okay. This is important that you understand this. As Dr. Fung explains, it facilitates uptake of glucose into the cells, which is essential for all of your cells to live to facilitate the energy that all the various parts of your body needs. That's what it is. And it also partitions, it sort of directs where what happens in terms of, does it go to fat? Does it go to energy? It's very important. It's life-giving. So insulin is a fat storage hormone. And so what, what, how does it, how does it go about this process of, making, allowing nutrients, right? And having them go into the cells, right? Because that's what it does. And that's why we need it to live. If you don't have insulin, you die, right? So insulin is not a villain nor a hero, right? Insulin just needs to be in the proper amount. It has to be at the Goldilocks stage, not too much, not too little. And one of the things that make it go totally out of control? And one of the things that keep it in check so you can have a natural rhythm. So what is the process? Everyone in the keto space knows this. And I don't know, apparently people that are critical of fasting, I don't, know, I don't know what the hell, whether they know this or not. But you know, if I'm wrong, you know, you smarty pants out there, if I'm wrong on any part of this, let me know. But this is how he explains it in terms of what happens with this insulin process, what happens. Okay. So, When you eat food, you're going to get an insulin spike, right? So when you get a a highly refined carbohydrates, you get a huge insulin spike because your body is just like tailor made for energy. That's why we love sugar, by the way. Our body loves it. We feel great and it just shoots it throughout the body and it facilitates the nutrients in the cells immediately, Okay. What does it do with the nutrients that don't immediately get into the cells? Well, especially as it applies to like highly refined carbs, right? Like sugar, certain types of processed breads. It then takes that excess energy and stores it in the liver in the form of glycogen, which is a stored form of energy that then is then immediately available as your your metabolic processes working in your body to move your brain, to move your muscles, all of those different things. Now, this is the readily available storage that occurs in your liver. Now, if you're exercising or working out, your um, body loves this because it just knows. It's like having a Dr. Funk explains. It's like having a billfold, where hey, if you need some money, just go to your billfold. But your billfold is a limited storage size. You can only stuff so much cash. In your billfold, it's harder to go to the bank. At least, not as hard as it used to be, but it's still harder to go to the bank. So, there's it takes steps to get to the bank, but your billfold is where your cash is. So, once your body needs all of these things, it taps its glycogen, and it likes that. And so, that's one of the reasons why athletes, even the ones that are eating crappy diets, they're using that energy expenditure and they're tapping into their glycogen. And even if they're eating a lot of carbs, it's not as big an issue for them. Because um, they're, they're using the glycogen. Okay. So, what happens for these people that are stuffing their pipe hole and they're doing too much carb? They're doing too much, right? What happens to all that glucose? Well, your liver, when it's producing this glycogen, and after that's capped out, it's like, holy cow, we don't need all this stuff. We've got excess. So, what does it do? It makes, it does something called, uh, I think it's neolipogenesis. Or, lipogenesis, right? So it makes fat cells and it storage fat. That's the bad stuff that none of us actually want. But why does the body do that as opposed to excrete it? That's, the, that's to, even fat is, is good at some level because that was our evolutionary response to be able to survive. So if we didn't have food, our body could be like, hey man, no problem, I got this excess, right? And so that is actually healthy. And then, so what happens then when we don't have food for an extended period of time? Do we die? No, we don't die immediately because we have fat stores. And most of us have plenty of calories within our fat, in terms of excess body fat, to release that back into the body so we can have normal functioning. And so that is called... um, neo that we're creating new glucose so that we can actually survive. And I think that's where the ketones also come in at that point. So that's the general process by which insulin facilitates energy into our cells, right? And so you're still like, I don't really care. Why, why, why should I care about this? Well, and how does he really arrive at this conclusion? And this is, I think, what really makes so powerful as a source of medical information. So, so that's how insulin works, but in terms of why, why, why is it actual, um, how does he go about persuading us that this is actually right? And here, you know, for the critics of the insulin theory of obesity, I'd like to hear your reply to this because to me, not only has I, have I confirmed this in uh, my own experience, but there are peer-reviewed studies to support this. And in nearly every case, there's this direct ins- relationship between high insulin and obesity. Low insulin, if you, don't, if you don't produce any insulin, you're literally skinny. And of course, sometimes there can be associations that it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, the insulin causes the obesity or insulin, high insulin levels could be just a symptom of obesity. Right. So, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, here he cites several studies um, that really address this precise issue. And of course, a lot of these studies um, deal with diabetics because whether they're type two and they're they're diabetics in a state of insulin resistance, or type one, where their bodies aren't producing any insulin. Insulin's a big deal because regulating that and getting that right is really essential he starts, he cites like several studies and you're, and you're going to have to just read the book, but I think he's so effective at weaving the studies with his own clinical experience and, and as a nephrologist, as a medical doctor. So again, he's not just some charlatan saying, yeah, dude, I think the insulin theory of, you know, uh, obesity is correct while he's like smoking a spliff. No, he's a, he's a medical doctor. He's super smart. All doctors are really smart. Some are better than others though. So how do you go about persuading on this question of the insulin theory of obesity? Well, multiple issues looking at this question of um, insulin, right? And so for example, um, he cites a 2007 study um, in which participants were broken into three groups, high, medium, and low, and looked at their weight gain relating to the presence of insulin. So again, these were what are called exogenous introduction of insulin. In other words, insulin was given to them in higher doses, medium doses, and low doses. And the average weight gain in the study correlated almost exactly with high, medium and low, right? So yeah, that's the type of study that he cited. So with the presence of insulin causing direct relationships between um, weight gain and it matched nearly exactly. High insulin, high weight gain, medium insulin, medium weight gain, low insulin, lower weight gain. Most clinical doctors know when you start giving insulin to type 2 diabetics, what happens? They gain more weight and become even more insulin resistant. What What else does he look at? He looks at studies involving the stress hormone. Right, cortisol. Right. So, what is he cites a study in which um, stress. By the way, one of the reasons why when I watch a lot of these trials, one of the reasons why some lawyers can get really fat. I'm a lawyer. It's because you get really stressed out. And what happens when you get stressed? You release something called cortisol. And cortisol is again, cortisol is one of those things that's good. It's fight or flight. And it's good in small doses It allows us to fight off the cheetah or the the lion or the bear to protect our child, right? The chronic stress is bad. So that's one of the reasons why lawyers get that kind of lawyer bod luck, you know, that tubby lawyer luck. Yeah, that's from excessive cortisol levels. Well, cortisol um, also raises insulin levels. And so if you're in highly stressed states, you're likely not going to gain... Weight or sorry, you're you're not going to lose weight because you're at high insulin levels. I think probably evolutionary the reason why that and here I'm just riffing is that if you're in a state of stress, what is your body thinking? Like, oh my gosh, I need to look for food. I need I need to make sure I'm not wasting food. I need to receive the nutrients that I'm getting because I may need this because I'm in a state of fight or flight, and I need this to survive. And so that's that's what the signal that your body is sending. So he looks at the artificial. There's a study in which he looks at the artificial. cortisol called prednisone. Some people naturally, like again, stress is necessary that they don't produce enough cortisol to be able to do the essential functions of life. And so they prescribe something called prednisone and they've looked at weight gain with the presence of prednisone and introducing prednisone causes weight gain. Taking it away can cause weight loss. So that's interesting. He also looks at the level of you know diseases like for example what happens then for low cortisol groups right and there's a group called the people that have addison's disease right they have they they're not naturally producing a lot a large levels of cortisol. And what's characterized by addison's disease getting extremely skinny right and so all of these things are almost one-to-one correlation in terms of the relationship between being fat and being high insulin level and and, and high insulin levels. So what are some of the two other studies that he looks at? Um, Is any, any, there's a lot of things that he cites. And by this, you'd be like, oh my God, this is so boring. Oh, Hey, listen on, this is important because if you don't understand this stuff, and by the way, read the book, because that's key. Read the Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung. So you really understand, like if you've heard about keto and why it works and all this stuff, you'll have a much better, better understanding of why that works and why fasting works if you read the book and other books on the topic. He's not the only one, but that will help you give the framework. So there's a guy called Dr. Atkins. Okay. Remember Dr. Atkins? In the late 90s, we were kind of the peak of this um, low fat, high carb um, garbage that, that people have been preaching forever. I remember when I was in Iowa City, I'd go to this place called Vito's. Remember when you get appetizers? They would give you bread? Oh my gosh. And of course, they were an appetizer. They literally stimulated your appetite. So, literally, what did the bread do? You're eating all that bread to get started? You're spiking your insulin. And you're getting your body ready to receive the calories, which is the worst thing you want to do. You know, what's even worse than no carbs are bad, but if you mix high carb and high fat, that's horrible, super high insulin spike, plus the introduction of fat. It's like a double whammy. They used to do that all the time. And why were they doing that all the time? Because we were in this orthodoxy that was not concerned. It was all calories in, calories out, bread doesn't really have that many calories. It doesn't have a lot of fat in it. And so people are like, great, it's low fat. So we're not going to get fat. And we were eating bread and crackers and all these different things with high amounts of carbs, having our pop and thinking like, oh, that's not that big a deal as long as I just have one pop. Guarantee you, if you drink a lot of pop, you're going to be fat, unless you're working out all of the time. And even then, you may have something called visceral fat which is going to be within your, like, so for example, even great athletes, even though they don't show a lot of the excess visceral, like the the, the hubby fat, um, you can get fat around a lot of your organs. So like they've said that people that are athletes, if they're drinking a lot of Gatorade, they can get like fatty liver disease. So yeah, this stuff should really scare the shit out of you. So Atkins comes along. Well, Atkins had been preaching this for like 30 years, in like 60s, early 70s. But the, the medical community was like, oh yeah, who's the the big head honchos the medical community, the American Medical Associations. These are the doctors of all doctors. And they kind of looked their nose down on the um, on the Atkins people, right? Dr. Atkins is like, wait a minute. Okay. So he kind of thought that insulin was the thing. He he thought this in the 60s. He thought insulin is what makes me fat. Well then I want to control my insulin. And I know that highly refined carbs, especially sugar, and other things that are um, likely to produce a high insulin spike and also give me a lot of insulin resistance. So, hmm, maybe I should lower my carbs because you don't really need pure sugar to live, right? Increase my fat. So I'm having nutrient dense, um, satiating foods. And one, one, one other thing with those is that they don't spike your insulin. So it's all about having high carb, low fat, I'm sorry, high fat, low carb. And he'd done that for like 30 years. And he was just a heretic, totally crazy. Everyone thought he was just totally full of shit. And they're like, well, even if you do lose weight, it's kind of like, well, you're just going to have a lot of heart disease because fat is, quote unquote, everyone knows that fat is bad for you. And again, there's nuance to that. I mean, there's, there's, trans, there's all sorts of different types of fats that are bad. There's good fat, there's bad fat. That's beyond the scope of this. But so he was a heretic and for 30 years, it was just a growing number of people that were like, well, this is the only way that I can lose weight. And finally, the AMA was like, all right, MoFo, this is the American Medical Association. We're going to do this study and we're going to study three key diets, right? The high fat, low carb, that's the Atkins. The zone and zone probably is what Betty, the nutritionist would recommend, moderate carbs, balanced protein carbs and fat in the 30 to 40 30 ratio and then the other one was the low fat high carb that's known as the ornish diet which usually involves a lot of plants and stuff like that and not eating a lot of like meats they all lost weight but um it was very clear that they they had very similar levels of weight loss but here's the key point with that That not only was the weight loss better, the blood pressure, cholesterol, and blood sugars all approved on a greater extent on the Atkins diet. So, that was one of the key critics of that diet is that if you do that, you're going to lose, you're going to increase your risk factors. So, it's not only were they losing weight, but um, the Atkins diet was the one that actually had the best metabolic health, health outcomes. Another one, published by the New England Journal of Medicine uh, in 2003, confirmed a greater short-term weight loss with the Atkins diet. So again, these aren't like, this isn't like, you know, uh, organizations that are, that are a bunch of dummies. The New England Journal of Medicine is one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world, Journal of the American Medical Association, all the smarty pants that are like doctors, the journal for the doctors. And they also confirmed um, weight loss. Um, so, the benefits and the diets in, in terms of losing weight and impro- improve, improving your blood sugar, your blood pressure, and your weight loss were superior with that. So, that is why I believe that the hormonal theory of obesity is clearly the key um, way to understand weight loss and how to actually lose weight. And so for the next episode, we're gonna discuss what his recommendations are relating to that. And I'll get you to you know, the, basically the punchline is, it's basically keto plus um, ketogenic diet, plus intermittent fasting, plus occasional longer fast. So essentially, and, and, and really the, the pillar or the, the foundation of that approach relates to the hormonal theory of obesity, which is healthy levels of insulin in your body relating to both taking away the food stimulus in the form of fasting and taking away, for the most part, um, foods that are likely to promote high insulin levels, fat accumulation and insulin resistance. The problem with insulin resistance is that your body is having to produce in your pancreas more and more insulin to do its essential functions, which is a bad thing. And so hopefully you found this episode. hopefully it wasn't like mind dumbingly dull. hopefully you're not like that guy in Ferris Bueller's class, like they're like Bueller Bueller, and the guy's like so bored that he has a you know he's drooling on the on the on the uh desk. Hopefully you're not that bored, but it's important because I didn't realize when i was that when i was thirty six that I was at a ninety four percent higher risk of dying right i you know, or an elevated risk to that level. And had I gotten up to 40, which I wasn't that far away, uh, I, had, I had a 300% higher risk of dying. No one knows that. And I think a lot of people that, you know, they they are, uh, I think with being fat, they're like, oh, I was born that way. No, you weren't. You weren't. Yeah, and of course there are genetic components to that. Obesity does not exist in nature. It doesn't. Did not exist in any hunter-gatherer tribes. Didn't exist. Does now in hunter-gatherer tribes, but most of those guys are going into the city to like get some pizza, right? So, or they're, they're contact with missionaries and they've given them all this highly refined um, carbs and, you know, food. But in nature, it does not. You don't really see a lot of obese animals. Um, you don't. And once I understood the why, right, what caused Then that gives you a framework to understand how to get out of that and the structure you're eating, when you eat, what you eat to address that insulin level. And that allowed me to easily lose the weight. And now I can basically lose weight at will because it's like a code. Well, what do you do with a code? A code is super complicated if you don't know the key, but if you know the key, it's easy, right? The hard part is cracking it. Well, this code has been cracked, and you can either you can listen to Betty, but I mean the other part of it too. One interesting heuristic is look at the people giving the advice that are that are embracing the theories that they talk about. Now, Betty Betty probably has a punch, or your doctor, like if your doctor doctor has a um, punch, and they're telling you to go eat the 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 zone. Or to embrace calories in calories out well what the hell do they know they don't know what's making them fat either right betty betty has a little pond. she's you know don't listen to her the people that i listen to they're all jacked they're all jacked they're all fit they look great and once i learned the key and i had the key weight loss was simple And a lot of people are going to be like, yeah, no way. It's just, you got lucky. You're just using your anecdote as scientific evidence. No, I, um, I, I was 300 pounds for probably 15 years. I didn't look totally obese because I have a big frame, but I I was overweight and I'm still a little bit overweight, by the way, I want to get down to 220 but people are like, Oh my God, you look too skinny at that level. But Once I understood that, it was extremely easy. So I encourage you to read the obesity code. And if you're too lazy to read, you're like, yeah, man, like I only read comic books and I don't read books. Well, then you can listen to this podcast because I'm basically giving you the highlights of it. But next episode, we're going to discuss the key takeaways um, from Dr. Fung in terms of what he recommends um, in terms of fasting and types of foods that you can eat relating to managing your insulin levels. Um, and that's going to be the next episode. So friends, if you are still here, whoa, I am so grateful for each and every one of you. You know, there's a cacophony of voices out there in the um, internet and they're all, they all have their own point of view, but if you've made it this far, infinite gratitude to you, but don't just keep the message that we're talking about here to yourself. Spread the word, share this with other people. Um, give me positive reviews on Spotify. Apple and all places where podcasts are heard. Don't just keep it to yourself. Spread the word. I'm trying to grow this audience so we can do great things together. You and I, share me your story. If with fasting or ketogenic diet, share your story with me at rocknicole at gmail.com or rockneycast at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear what you have to say um, relating to your own weight loss journey, including skeptics out there. Like, yeah, man, I've fasted and I've done ketogenic diet and I'm still fat. Well, Okay, there may be a couple, you know, unicorns out there that have embraced this that, that are still fat, but I haven't really met too many. Once people learn the keys to fasting and ketogenic diet, they're going to lose a shitload of weight and they're going to look fit and jacked. I'm, I'm just telling you, that's going to happen. Um, so that's what we're going to cover on the next episode of the Rocky Cast: Doctor Fung's key takeaways uh, from the book The Obesity Code one of the most, the best and most impactful books that I have ever read. That's what we're going to discuss on, on the next time of The Rocking Cast.